Well, good evening. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Jacob Staley, and I'm one of the members here at Midtown Baptist Church. Uh, I'm very honored to have the privilege of opening the Word of God with you here tonight. Um, one thing about me that you may or may not know, although if you were to ask any one of my students, they would all too eagerly tell you, um, is that I can be both extremely long-winded and easily distracted, um, which is a truly dangerous combination. So out of respect uh, to all of your collective sanity, uh, we're going to jump right into our topic for tonight. So tonight, uh, we will continue our discussion of God's law delivered in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. Specifically, we're going to examine the sixth of these commandments delivered in verse 13. Um, therefore, in the light of the reading of God's word, I would ask you to stand if you are able to honor the text. Again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Hear the words of the Lord. Do not murder. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Pray with me as we enter our time of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the purity and the truth found within it. I pray that you speak through your word tonight to equip, encourage, and spur on the saints in pursuit of you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As we begin to refocus our minds on this particular section of Scripture, we are reminded of a few interpretive realities that help us better understand its context. First, we understand that the laws given uh, by God here, the Ten Commandments, serve a handful of functions. They reveal the character of God, they shine a light on our own character, and they depict a right standard of living demanded of everyone everywhere. Secondly, we know that these laws are best understood as two distinct tables, uh, an interpretation reiterated by Jesus in Matthew 22. The first table of the law, composed of the first four commandments, detail and prescribe man's right relationship with God. These commands demonstrate the supremacy of God, our lowly estate, and the supreme position that he is to take within our lives. Beginning with our last meeting together, we have shifted our attention to the second table of the law, those latter six commandments that detail the right relationship of man to the rest of mankind. It is within this group that we find our text tonight, Do Not Murder. Now, in light of my promise earlier, as well as being a committed Baptist, my goal tonight is to examine three, yes, three brief thoughts regarding this command. Um, together, we will analyze number one, the command's foundation, Number two, the command's implication. And number three, the command's application. So let us begin with the command's foundation. If you have brought your own Bible translation tonight or have read this passage in the past, you may have heard this command translated, do not kill rather than do not murder. This is made possible due to the fact that in the Hebrew language, uh, there are more than one word denoting killing. However, the word used in this specific context is ratzak, describing the unjustified killing of a human being, or as one commentator put it, killing for selfish reasons without authorization. This narrows our focus to the act of taking another human's life without righteous justification. With this term defined, allow me to raise what may seem to be a rather silly question. Why not? We live in a world defined by individualism and self-success. There's constant competition for resources, 
accolades, and legacies. If you and I are, as many say, merely the furthest advanced compounds of colliding stardust, what ethical foundation prohibits us from following in the footsteps of the rest of the creatures of the natural world who live in constant violation of this command? After all, aren't humans merely the chief product of millions of years of survival of the fittest? While undeniably provocative, these questions point us to the foundation behind this and the other commandments. You see, what we find in Exodus 20 is not merely a list of do's and do nots guiding you to your best life now. In these commands, we find an imprint of the very nature of God. God is the moral and ethical standard behind everything in the universe. The prescriptions for life given in this list are right because they affirm the very character of God. The prohibitions given point to actions which violate the character of God. You must not possess, fashion, or worship any other gods above the Lord because He is most lovely, holy, and totally worthy of all glory and praise. You shall not defile the name of the Lord because it is infinitely valuable, nor swear an oath in His name in vain as He is the faithful one. You must remember the Sabbath and honor your father and mother as these imitate the portrait of righteousness laid out by God Himself. This brings us to the foundation for verse 13. Do not murder. Why? Because God is life. God is life. God is the master originator of all life. Beginning in the first book of the Bible, we see His creative, life-starting power on display through exploding galaxies, planets, and ecosystems. Nothing that has life or existence can boast of any personal responsibility for that fact. Furthermore, God is the complete sustainer of life. Nothing that currently has life would enjoy it for a single second longer without the continued breath of God. Hebrews 1.3 tells of this by stating that Christ is, quote, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Abraham Kuyper stated it like this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. But where do we come into the conversation? There are many living creatures across our galaxy. What makes you and I beholden to these ethical standards and not the vast inhabitants of the seas? Our answer to this question reveals our understanding of origin. In Genesis 1, 26-27, as the creation account is drawing to a close, we find our answer. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. One reading rule many of us are probably familiar with is that repetition signifies importance. Looking at this section, four times in two verses, we are given the distinction of human beings. In our image, according to our likeness, in his own image, in the image of God. Human beings are distinct because we bear the imago Dei, literally the image of God, an honor which no other creature possesses. 
Like a family name, you have been forever endowed with the inescapable and irrevocable mark of God, giving you a status separated from the rest of creation. This brings us to our second thought, the command's implication. Human beings bear, or human beings have a different status among creatures, yes, but what impact is this actually to have on our daily conduct? Specifically in this case, the prohibition to murder. As mentioned earlier, this law reveals for us an aspect of God's character which we are to emulate and model in our own lives. Regarding this command, we are required to recognize and honor every person as a distinct bearer of God's image. We must seek to preserve, protect, and defend every innocent human life as its destruction would be the very removal of another image of God found in creation. Again, we must seek to preserve, protect, and defend every innocent human life as its destruction would be the very removal of another image of God found in creation. Conversely, the great evil in violating this command lies in the desire of evildoers to stamp out any and all reminders of God on earth. Like the scheming and petulant rulers of Psalm 2, the evil heart has desired to wage war against God. However, finding itself inadequate for that conflict, it must settle for destroying reminders of its image throughout the world. This, it believes, will allow it to assume the place of God himself, possessing the power to willfully destroy what he has created. A cursory examination of the Bible affirms this underlying emphasis on the high value of human life due to its origin. While speaking to Noah in Genesis 9-6, God describes the significance of human life by stating, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. In Deuteronomy 22.8, we see an early form of a building code commanding the builder of a new home to provide railing around the rooftop lest a person fall and blood guilt be brought against the homeowners. Furthermore, we see harsh penalties for those who assault others, Exodus 21.12-15 and 18-19. A prohibition on man-stealing or kidnapping, Exodus 21.16. And even godly standards for criminal proceedings before harming the life of the accused. Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21. Why are these prescribed, church? Because God is life. God is the creator and the sustainer of life. As all human beings bear the Imago Dei, they possess intrinsic worth and value. Finally, Jesus expands on this command to even include our thoughts. In a passage many of us are familiar with, Matthew 5, 21-22, Jesus states, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. First of all, side note, um, anytime you're struggling with interpre- interpreting a text, and then later on in the Bible, there's a section where Jesus interpreted, um, safe to say you can go with that one. Um, but... Um, In this passage, Jesus, equating his words with the very authority of Scripture, explains that our commitment to the value of human life must apply to our thoughts as well as our actions. It must apply to our hearts as well as our hands. In light of this, let us turn our attention to one final thought. This commands application. 
My next statement will not come as a shock to any of you. We live in a culture of death. Not only that, we live in a culture that loves death. Regardless of the particular, particular variety of the day, abortion, homosexuality, physician-assisted suicide, transgender ideology and the mutilation of bodies, our culture relishes in and promotes death, constantly seeking new ways to mar, destroy, and totally erase the inescapable image of God found in creation. What then are you and I to do? Going back to our opening discussion, if the command prohibits that which is against God's character, we must strive to live in a way that is in accordance with God's character. Three actions, then we'll close. Number one, place your trust in and rejoice in the gospel. Romans 5.8 states, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How has the God of life responded to our treachery and rebellion towards him? He sent his son in the form of a man to die for us. In the most vile act of murder ever designed by human hands, the killing of the very image of God, God in his infinite wisdom, was pleased to crush Christ to reconcile us to himself. This very act of death would serve as the only way to provide true life. If you have not placed your trust in this message, I implore you to abandon your rebellion and be reconciled to God through Christ. If you are a Christian, rejoice in knowing that the same God which grants you physical life has paid an infinitely valuable price to guarantee you eternal life. Number two, kill sin in your own heart. As we think about our fellow human beings, do you truly view them as bearers of God's image? If you began to, What would that change in your life? As mentioned earlier, Jesus' interpretation of the commandment reveals that the act of murder is premeditated by a sinful condition of the heart, rendering every one of us culpable. What anger have you been allowing to fester in your heart against fellow image bearers, against fellow members of the body? Brothers and sisters, do not entertain sin thinking that you may control it, kill it, As Christians, we have been freed from this curse by the work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received and guard your heart against all which leads you to detest those that God has made in his image. Number three, speak to the culture. You, Christian, bear the very words of God and the foundation of truth. As Paul states in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. For training in righteousness. Proclaim this message to the world with boldness. Rise to defend the image of God in humanity from conception to natural death throughout the culture. Let the commissioning words of Christ in Matthew 28 be your motivation to stand in front of neighbor or government calling them to honor the character of God in the laws of the land and in the conduct of their lives. Do not fear the opinions or the treatment of man, knowing that whatever trials you may face in this life, they are not worth comparing to the eternal glories that are in store. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your perfect word and your commandments.
We thank you that you are the author and the sustainer of life, and you have given us much more than we have ever deserved. Help us to view the lives of our fellow human beings in the same manner which you do, and defend your image wherever we see it harmed. Give us hope and a strength to be faithful to you. Amen.